welcome to the Car Sim and Race Driver Show, presented by Hugh Hattrick. Here at Bathurst in the course, my very special guest, basically, Rascal Rabbit, Josh Martin. It's great to have you back on the show. Drive fast and try not to crash. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's another edition of the Car Sim and Race Driver Show with me, Shoe Hattrick, and my very special guest. I know I say that every week, but this time I mean it for sure, but I always mean it. But here we are. It is the legend that is Chrissy. <laughs> well, thank you very much for inviting me back on, Hugh. And I must say, uh, I am a big fan of the new intro. You've uh, managed to shoehorn some great footage into that. I hope uh, the rest of the show is even remotely as interesting as that uh, rather spectacular <laughs> intro video. And I can assure you, it's all copyrighted. It's all it's all legal. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yes, that was a, a good friend, Daniel Pierce um, from Australia. Um, through Josh Martin, who enabled me to got who made the video for me. Um, but uh, what a fantastic uh, year you've had since we last had you on the show, though, Chris. Your channel has grown uh, hugely, up to nearly seventy thousand uh, uh, subscribers, which is brilliant. You're now full time, and you've got a studio there, as we can see behind with these wonderful lighting and semics. So, tell me, in the last year, what has been what's been the big developments? How did it all? How did it all go? How to sum up the last 12 months? Well, I think most people know most of what's happened in 2020 because it's been, uh, been a busy year. But from my perspective, um, I've just been plugging away making sim racing videos. Uh, a lot of them have, thankfully for me, at least caught the attention of uh, some brands outside of uh, sim racing and inside of sim racing that have allowed me to do some commercial work, which has helped uh, provide a stable income, which has allowed me to go full time and ultimately sort of led to developing this space here. Uh, mm. As you sort of referenced earlier, I was uh, like most sim racing YouTubers, I was uh, operating out of a spare bedroom, uh, didn't even have a shed to my name at the time. We do actually, it's just very leaky. You wouldn't want, you wouldn't want to uh, put a sim rig in there. But I, I'm not even a fan of going and getting the lawnmower out, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. But um, <laughs> No, uh, so yes, it's uh, just been plugging away and trying to make some smart choices, and hopefully they've worked out because uh, I really don't want to give this place up. It's it's rather nice. <laughs> it looks absolutely brilliant, um, but you've got really quite a unique channel because obviously you describe the latest sim uh, developments and, and all the kind of new technology and also the kind of the, the mods. And I think this is a big thing, which I, I have to say I didn't know really anything about um, as from an, from an early kind of Gran Turismo sport player. Uh, but uh, you've really caught an audience uh, who obviously likes to know what's the latest thing they can get their hands on. Um, how did you kind of come up with that? Was it just because you've played lots of different games and you were involved in that? Or what was it that caught your eye from the different types of sim racing? Yeah, uh, there's there's a, a bit of all of that in there. I think um, when I started the channel, I was quite keen perhaps other than the first few videos, which don't fit what I'm about to say at all. But I was quite keen not to just produce exactly the same content that the people that were sort of on the scene at the time were producing. Uh, you know, your Jimmy Broadbents and your Gamer Muscles were probably the two yeah. uh, and various others as well. But there were a lot of people driving the cars and there weren't that many videos 
detailing what was happening within the sim racing scene, what was happening, particularly in the modding scene. There was there was there was some stuff, but it wasn't uh, particularly prevalent. Uh, there were some review videos of gear, and I knew that well. Maybe if I if I put some sort of uh, a bit more production value driven stuff towards that side of things, maybe I could carve out a niche there. And I just sort of thought, well, if I once I'd worked out that I kind of really enjoyed making YouTube videos that I should try and bring as much of my own voice and personality and uh, particularly my own sort of production style to it. Uh, as many people will know uh, that, that know my channel and know me, I was a professional photographer for years and years ago. So I've got some sort of studio photography background. So it was kind of always working towards this place that I'm at at the moment. It's just... Yeah it's one of those things that takes time to build yeah i mean that's the thing and i mean because i've always enjoyed your 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 mod videos when you have a specific game like you know a set of corsa um and then they they've, they've made like formula one with the vr or they've, or they've brought in a new car from i say a classic uh, racing car from somewhere and i mean that because i suppose that's what a lot of people like because they want they get that game they get the mods um, and then they want to have it. They can then have a fantastic race, and it just brings the realism um, of racing to them. And how do you find out all of these kind of news? Do you just are you in the, the kind of modern community? I uh, I think you just take part in discussions. You talk to people. There are all sorts of forums, and and lately it's all moved over to Discord, uh, mm -hmm. where these discussions take place. And they're just keeping an ear to the ground. I wouldn't say that i'm necessarily the most up to date with a lot of it because i spend so much time making videos about these things i quite often miss what's going on because mm. uh you know i'm slaving over an adobe premiere session rather than uh, necessarily chatting to the people who would normally keep me abreast of those things or reading the forum pages or or what have you it's so easy to go down that that rabbit hole but yeah, uh, yeah no it's uh, that's one of the beauties of sim racing is that there is such a variety and plurality of content that it's not just you know go and race formula one cars there's yeah, yeah. classic content there's rally cross there's rally there's there's a whole drifting community built around assetto corsa and there's a whole set of mods that uh support that so there are all of these different niches within sim racing or within uh simulated cars if you will uh, because not all of it's racing of course and all of this has grown in such a wonderful, wonderful way that I can't help but be excited by it and 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 highlight these these fun things when I find them. I did a video recently that you may have seen on uh, a Formula student team who had had their 2020 season ruined uh, because of COVID, as everything's been ruined by COVID. But they did their 2020 season scrapped, so the real world car that they were going to develop for this year, or they sorry they had developed for this year, wasn't going to be able to go down to Silverstone and compete in the the Formula Student competition. So they thought, well, we can bring it to life in a racing sim, and we can uh, wow. we can help it compete there. And there was a, a little Formula Student uh, sim championship that took place about it. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about sim racing is that it can do things like that in a way that should you have the real world restrictions that we have yeah. by unfortunately being tethered to living in the real world most of the time yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. are just not possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what are you, some, some of your favorite mods that are out there? You think like, let's say the best car, com oh, car wow. combinations that have really kind of stirred your heart for sim racing. I think if we're talking uh, any one particular supplier of mods, I think, 
anyone that's familiar with the scene will know of Ray Sim Studio. Everything they produce is uh, really high quality. And some of the guys at Ray Sim Studio have worked and continue to work with other Sim developers when they outsource projects and stuff. So you know the stuff that you're getting from them is as good or better than would come from the, you know, the, the developers themselves. They put a huge amount of, of work and effort into it. But if I had to pick one mod, actually, um, I would pick the uh, IER, uh, Endurance Racing Team, produced uh, a mod of a, a, a mid-2010s prototype car that they're calling the IER 13. Uh, I'm skirting around what the actual car is because of the... Some of the uh, the copyright issues that, that that come from that, but they produced this incredible mod for Assetto Corsa that required a whole bunch of rewriting the physics of the core game itself. I featured it on the channel last year and an in depth interview with the, with the creator uh, and the guy that created uh, all of the physics for that car. But the lengths that they went to to say, well, this is the sim to develop it for because it's it's the most friendly to to modding and producing this third party content. But, well, the aerodynamic simulation in it is a little bit basic by modern standards, and, and the brake simulation isn't quite there. The way brake heat maybe transfers into tires isn't there, and, and all of these other things. They're like, well, we've got the technology to rewrite the, uh, the core physics of this game now, so let's take one passion project, work on it for, for years, and produce the best possible uh, car from a physics perspective, the most realistic car that they possibly could and they had so much real world data and the, and the guys behind this have quite a lot of real world motorsport experience as well themselves so they're not coming entirely from a place of just uh, some guy at his keyboard who's, who's never seen a real <laughs> real world yeah, car yeah, right, right. <laughs> but you just yeah uh, it's hard not to be impressed by the the lengths that some of these these modding teams and uh, groups of individuals go to yeah. it's it's interesting because whenever you kind of talk about sim racing in, in the different kind of communities, they're always a set of course that always comes up, and then a set of course that competition always comes up, um, and then to a degree, then you get i racing, um, and then other other parts as well. Um, I'm trying to think of the other one. There's, I know there's R Factor, and there's quite a few others. I mean, why do you think a set of course that is just so much more accepted, or seems to be so so popular compared to the likes of i racing and other sim racing well, games? I think yeah, it's interesting. In terms of online racing that's available, iRacing is the dominant platform. And particularly in the United States, iRacing is far and away the most popular racing sim. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure that's necessarily the case in Europe, but it is still very popular. It's definitely up there. Assetto Corsa's USP, really, the original Assetto Corsa this is, which still lives on thanks to the yeah. modding community, its USP was the fact that it was open and they provided tools to help people create their own content for it yeah. uh, not only that kunos simulazione who created the sim uh, produced a whole bunch of content i think it was popular and that enabled them to to go and reach out to manufacturers and get a whole bunch of extra cars and tracks into the sim uh, as they went through and i think the popularity kind of swept it along but i think yeah i think it goes back to that point i was making earlier on is that it enabled a diverse a uh, group of people with very divergent interests, like, as I said, the the, um, the drifting community, or there are people yeah. that rally, or there are people that do cruises uh, mm. on open world maps in a sense of course. So there are people that literally just get online together and just go for a drive and have a chat. Um, yeah. 
in this sim that was really designed by a bunch of Italian race car fans who just wanted to drive their favorite race cars. Uh, yeah. But it's been taken on and, and made to do so many things by this just extremely talented and passionate and slightly mad modding community. Yeah. So here's the big question for you. So I'll check to see if we've got comments from people watching as well. Um, but uh, if, if someone was new to sim racing, and they had the choice between getting a brand new PS5 with all the kind of games that are coming for that or getting a PC and going down the Assetto Corsa uh, kind of route to that kind of route. What would be your recommendation? Uh, well, I mean, the first question is really that you can, it's very difficult to give a, a, a one size fits all answer because the big question is really how deep are your pockets? Yeah. I think with the price of a PS5 just creeping up again over the last generation, then the, those two are coming slightly closer together. Yeah. Uh, so it's maybe not quite the deal it was in the past. Mm -hmm. What I will say is, and I think I may have even given you this answer on the podcast last year, I got back into sim racing. I've, I've been doing this on and off since I was about 10 years old or, or even eight years old or something like that with Jeff Crammon's first Microprose Grand Prix game. But yeah. I, I took a bit of a pause for a few years. Well, I did, certainly didn't take it seriously for a very long time and came back in 2014 or probably 20, maybe even 20, early 2015 when Assetto Corsa got released on the PlayStation 4. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, uh, that was the console I had at the time, just as a, just a, a general gaming console. Uh, I picked it up because I, I like picking up car games. I've, yeah. got, I've got a kind of interest in cars, which may yeah. have come across. <laughs> And I, but I picked this up and I thought, hey, this is really good. This is serious. Uh, yeah, this is totally not appropriate for a controller. Okay, I'll have to get a wheel. So I bought a Thrustmaster T500 or T300, whichever, T300, which is the PlayStation compatible one. And oh, this is really good. This is really great. And yeah. then I made the mistake of going onto YouTube and seeing if uh, anyone was making any videos about it. And then I discovered, oh, wow, there's loads of mods available for this. You can't get them on the PlayStation, can you? So I, I took my my sort of office PC, my work PC. I was doing some work as in graphic design and uh, yeah. other media related things at the time, and I I upgraded the graphics card and was like, yeah, it, it, within minutes I was I was deep into it, uh, and I have to attribute everything that's happened here to just just chancing across a set of Corsa. Yeah, that's amazing. I remember trying to do the same on my business PC. Um, and I thought, because I saw, I, I thought, right, I'll get it on a set of course, because everyone was saying you need to download it onto the PC. And so um, so I tried it uh, and I'd upgraded my, my PC to like 32 gigabytes of RAM, but the graphics card was seemingly just not at all up to the scratch. Um, and so when I finally managed to get it to work and I had to get a download for my Logitech G29 and get all that stuff working and the computer was slowing down dramatically. And eventually, when I got it on my screen, um, it, I would turn the wheel, and about five seconds after I turned it, it would turn on the screen. So it was clearly not... Not, not, not ideal, is it? <laughs> so I thought, yeah, let's just try and start again. Um, so hopefully there's a gaming PC coming my way fairly soon in the next couple of months or so before Christmas is the target. Uh, but I can't wait, because uh, we're missing out on all these incredible games and kind of racing communities, so... Um, it's, uh, I'm definitely going to get. I've, I've got a set of course and a set of course of competition, um, so on stream. So that will be the next thing. I mean, what would be the pace, isn't it? The the sim racing industry. There's so much stuff happening. Uh, hmm. uh, there's so many new entrants sort of coming into this area as well. So it, it's it's a good time to be uh, to be getting further involved. I think. Yeah. Well, I always find that uh, when I play a set of course of competition, 
um, it, it helps me because it's it's much more of a game you've really got to concentrate and you've really got to try and get it right because it doesn't allow for mistakes. It punishes you straight away if you go wide on a on a or even on a curve. If you touch a curve in the wrong way, it'll spin you off and everything else. And if I if I do reasonably at that for a few hours of practice and things, um, then I go into back to GT Sports and and these are both on the PlayStation. I find I actually do better on GT Sport. So it must be a game as well that kind of does teach you a bit, a bit more about actually how to race properly. Yeah, I think uh, one of the benefits of uh, the more, how do we put this, more sort of deep simulators. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've used the term simulation first uh, titles yeah. in the past uh, because I think comp- uh, things like Assetto Corsa Competizione and, and R Factor and iRacing put the simulation value as the core thing and then they work on the graphics and the gameplay uh, and everything else sort of as a secondary thing to that that sort of holy bible of the physics yeah. Uh, yeah. whereas titles like forza and gt sport are like okay we've got to make a good game that people really enjoy and that it's got to look good and it's got to drive well as well but it yeah. sort of has that sort of slightly different prioritization now that's not to say that uh, the physics are, are worse in GT Sport, uh, or, but they are certainly less of a priority. Uh, would be the way I would put it. But the solid, the underlying physics, or the underlying way you drive a car, with some exceptions, is is pretty similar in, in all of those sims. There are obviously nuances, and there are obviously exploits as well, which is another thing that uh, that you can't get away from until until you build the perfect simulator that absolutely perfectly simulates real life there will always be little ways that you can game the system uh, and those do vary massively between the the various sims uh because there's so many potential ways to uh to to find an advantage in a in, in a game and that's where all the the fast esport guys are absolutely brilliant because they do 20,000 laps and they find out that oh if i downshift from from third to second gear during this corner it helps rotate the car or if i let off the brakes in a way that you probably wouldn't in a real car here it actually helps because they found that maybe say the modeling of the differential in that particular car isn't quite as realistic as you might hope and it's uh yeah it's a bit of a bit of a weird uh area to be delving into and honestly nothing to do with the question you asked <laughs> no that's brilliant but it's interesting that you said that variant because um one of my friends have been watching a video with nico rosberg and he was saying you know it was like a track guide i think for turkey or, mm. or a previous track, um, and he was saying that, that how you could get the car to go around some of the corners better was not to change down until you got to the apex. And if yeah. you did it just on the apex, then there was just enough to give you a little bit more turning ability. That is a, that's a very, very common thing with the with the F1 game. Uh, it's it's a it's a really well known uh, exploit. It's, even if at this stage you call it an exploit, I'm not sure I would. I would say it's just, it's just part of how the physics of that car are modelled. Again, I assume in that case it is something to do uh, with the differential. It seems likely, but um, I, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time seriously uh, racing in in the Formula One games, just because yeah. my interest in a, in a lot of this is in in classic motorsport or in, or in GT racing yeah. these days. It's funny how the F1, because we all watched the, or lots of people watched the F1 esports races in the summer. And I mean, the, the, the pro drivers were fantastic. Cause we, we did some kind of mock commentary on it and we just did it as a live podcast. So we both, my, me and my co-host, we would watch it live on YouTube or on Twitch 
um, and then in turn we would we would do our own commentary and then we recorded it and put it off as a, as a podcast and it was quite fun that the pro drivers were, were uh, incredible because they would never they would never cut a corner they had the full damage on yeah. all of that and 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 it was they were actually quite good races to commentate on it was when they did the celebrity races or the kind of you know everyone was coming in from cricketers to footballers to everything else and it, and, it, and then of course they, they turned the damage off so you know we were crashing and, and the rest of it and it just it didn't i really didn't think they did it justice of what it could yeah i think there was a lot of uh a lot of needing to uh, things to be learned very quickly because that all happened in the early stages of lockdown as mm-hmm. people were realizing well there's gonna be no motorsport this year what do we do how do we help on our brand commitments sponsor commitments how do we keep the public entertained how do we continue being doing what we do in some way shape or form and yeah. there were people like uh veloce esports excuse me i've just got a pop-up right in front of your face here <laughs> you have people like veloce esports who are very experienced in this kind of thing and did a did a great job with their series you have whereas uh, maybe with some of the other series they were in slightly slightly unknown territory uh, and yeah. I think people got it together pretty quickly, uh, yeah. but there was a definite vertical learning curve. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting that, like, like, for example, the Sky Sports F1 that covered quite a lot of it, but mm. they didn't use their main presenters, which I was a little bit surprised at because I thought they might want to get in on the action and have Martin Brundle and David Croft you know because that that does well i think it's because they were they were taking on the normal f1 esports uh guys so uh you know that that's that's a series that's been going on for for quite a while um for a few a number of years now uh two or three i think and so you know that's a production that they're trying to bring to people and regardless of you know dc and uh, and martin brundle being available it was probably a calculated decision to introduce the the normal broadcast or as close yeah. to the normal broadcast package yeah. as they could. Also, I hate to say it, during the early part of uh, lockdown, simula- uh, simulated racing got a huge amount of exposure. Some of yeah. it good, some of it bad. And introducing a lot of perhaps, and this might become unpopular, but perhaps more ingrained motorsport personalities into sim racing didn't always go that well in my experience because not everyone takes it as seriously. And when you've got a whole group of, uh, a whole production like F1 Esports, where there are 24 drivers and 12 teams, or sorry, 20 drivers and 10 teams and dozens of support staff uh, for each of those teams. And then you've got all of the uh, event organizers and the producers, the sound guys, the lighting guys. And you know this is a, a thing that employs hundreds of people. If you have um, a talking head that perhaps isn't really into the idea and doesn't really get it doesn't really know anything about it it makes them it does make a bit of a mockery of it uh, and we've seen a few of those sort of types of situations crop up so i think having the the real esports guys in there doing their job is probably better had yeah. you know there, 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 there's a sort of cost benefit there that being yeah. said i want to see uh, i want to see martin brundle uh, turn his hand to doing some sim racing commentary yeah. because because he is a he is a true pro and i think even if he thought sim racing was the stupidest thing in the world he'd do an excellent job yeah absolutely i mean i always think you could have some great moments of i could imagine damon hill and johnny herbert you know (laughs) on a on a sim sim rig and you know Uh, johnny johnny did some racing he did some good takeouts and johnny did well as well you know uh I, i was i was impressed to see that he always comes across as a bit of a 
I think the personality he likes to portray on TV uh, and in the media is is a bit of a happy-go-lucky, bit of a chancer type, and you know, maybe yeah. doesn't take things all that seriously. But it was yeah. interesting. He was one of those guys that when you got him in a car or in a race sim, I should say, he was definitely very serious about it. Yeah. And there are lots of real world races that have come across during the last year that are taking it really, really seriously. And, you know, they've seen, well, here's a chance for me to do some competitive yeah, racing, sure. whereas oh, yeah. my season may not have panned yeah. out. So, you know, kudos to them. But equally, you can't expect every every personality within the real world motorsport scene to have that approach and that's where some of those issues occurred is that some people are yeah. just seeing it as a well this is a laugh i can help this is a laugh and i can sort of help out my sponsors whereas other people are like okay yeah. now this is something you know sim racing is really growing this is this is something to take seriously and, and do something with because i think as well when we, when we were watching it we thought what they really maybe needed to do was if they were going to take it as a kind of f1 replacement until the races started they really needed to get everybody every driver who was involved in f1 at the time um to get their sim rig sorted out ship it out yeah. to them if need be get i think i think they struggled to get uh, to get a lot of the real world main drivers on board yeah. um, and you and then again you had people like uh, max verstappen and, and lando norris who uh were and still deeply yeah. are heavily involved in sim racing outside yeah. of their their real world commitments who just aren't really big proponents of the the official f1 title so you know they, there was they, i think they might have had issues with buy-in from all sorts of angles there from the real world drivers yeah now that's the thing well we've got a couple of questions for you um oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, i think they're all fairly straightforward and uh, one from luke from the sim hub um, a question for chris what's it like to be interviewed instead of interviewing Oh, it's a lot easier. I mean, the only prep work I had to do for this was throw up a couple of lights uh, and they were there anyway, to be honest. So it's just making sure that I'm in focus, which I, I'm kind of hoping I am. So uh, honestly, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot less stressful. I was able to be on a, on a call uh, until five minutes before this interview. And I, I've got another call scheduled for five minutes afterwards. If I'm doing it myself, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't have that sort of laser sphere attitude to this. <laughs> Oh, it's a lot easier. I've got my notes here for questions, so hopefully it will all, I won't run out, but no, I'm sure it's its its all good. We've got another question from Jeff Colclough, who is the fiancé of Thea from the, the Amazons, um, who's got a big community out there in, in uh, ACC and, and other racing. So the question is, is sim racing commentary the same as motorsport commentary? Is it the same? I think, well... This is this is an interesting thing, uh, and it's something I've been wanting to talk about for a little while, but haven't really formulated my thoughts entirely on it. So I apologise if this is a little bit rambling. There is a little bit of a division where uh, between I think people that see sim racing or racing esports from a perspective of the esports community. So people doing Counter-Strike and League of Legends and all of those things. And people that see racing esports from the perspective of motorsport. Yeah. And there's a bit of a dichotomy there. Um, in, say, League of Legends or, or Call of Duty or, or whatever, uh, your commentators are called ca uh, casters or shoutcasters. And there is a, a, a sort of etiquette that is very different to what you would expect from, a, again, a Martin Brundle or, or a David yeah. Croft type. Uh, commentating over motorsport um, and that there's there's kind of a tension there I think um, and 
having done jobs for multiple organizations now doing doing commentary there's a bit of a, a difference in opinion of of, of what's wanted yeah. and i think that highlights a bigger issue that i love to get on my soapbox about every time every time i'm given the opportunity which is that sim racing or, or i should say racing esports doesn't yet have a really defined audience it doesn't have an audience that's been uh, grown and, and matured into something that's just there all the time and you turn on the switch and the audience is there to watch your sim racing production now every every viewer at the moment for every sim racing event is is hard won they're fought for whereas obviously you know you know if you run a formula one race in in turkey for example this weekend even without a lot of promotion for it, millions and millions of people are going to tune in and watch and they know what they're going to expect. They know what the product is and you don't have to explain everything. Whereas every sim, every sim racing event, you have to explain everything about it. You have to explain how the points work. You have to explain the competition format. You have to explain and introduce all of the drivers because most of the time yeah. the audience doesn't know who they are. And it's like starting from scratch all the time because that audience hasn't been built uh, because we don't really know who that audience is is to the same extent it's not been really well cultivated yet and i think that's i always take personal some level of personal responsibility for that because it's it's people like me who do commentary jobs that maybe don't have the opportunity to communicate those stories properly or people like me who produce content surrounding this industry who maybe don't uh, get across and, and help do our own part in building that audience as well uh, so, you know, I'm not throwing rocks at anyone. I think, I think the whole industry just needs to do a, a slightly better job of defining what racing esports is, who it's supposed to be targeting and get out there and build that audience. Yeah, that's great. And as a follow up question, Jeff has said, um, does understanding the tech help? Does understanding the tech help? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I understand, I, I, I understand the tech, so I, I don't have both experiences. I think that the tech, particularly in terms of um, just actually commentating, logging into a race session and, and commentating, isn't particularly difficult to get your head around. And uh, yeah, realistically, if anyone wants to get involved in racing commentary for the real world, I think there is a good template that practicing with sim racing events absolutely gives you a huge advantage there are a number of uh, of people who've started off in in this in this space and are now commentating on real world events we've got actual vision uh, very recently has gone from being a really well-known uh, sim racing caster and is doing stuff with with dtm at the moment and mm -hmm. it's great to see things like that because how else are you going to get experience there are it's really sim racing on on live events and being able to do it under pressure or talking along to tapes of the 1988 World Sports Car Championship. Not yeah. of course. <laughs> I was going to say there was a fantastic tweet by Martin Brundle a few days back um, where I think it was near Murray Walker's birthday, I think it was, or one of, or one of the, one of the uh, they were celebrating so many years of commentary. And when he first started with Murray Walker back in 1997, um, he took this video of them in the commentary box. Um, and at that point, they were sharing a, 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 a mic and you had Murray starting off. And the great thing was, there he was, Martin was standing in the background. Murray was right next to him. Murray had the hold of the mic of the microphone. He was standing up and he was saying, going around the left-hander, the right-hander, doing the whole bit. And, he, you know, he, making the, the emotion and all the enthusiasm of the race. And then he gives the, the, the mic back to Mar Martin and he just says, 
yep, and that's fine. And then it goes on in a completely different, you know. So all that emotion and enthusiasm, and then you had Martin's kind of first go uh, with a kind of calmer uh, angle. Yeah, well, it's very interesting going back and listening to to Martin in the first couple of seasons of commentary, because I think he sort of saw his role as the the technical guy there, the guy that was there to provide some real world context and and be able to talk about well the technical stuff because Formula One is a complex sport. But he has developed into this extraordinary storyteller, and that that's the thing I appreciate about about Martin Brundle is his ability to communicate the nuance of the sport in an engaging. Uh, in an engaging way. And it is like being read a bedtime story by yeah. someone that's very passionate about the sport. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure he'd appreciate it being referred to as a bedtime story. <laughs> I, I certainly do. I get comments on YouTube all the time saying, oh, you have a you have a wonderful speaking voice. You know, it's a, I could go to sleep listening to this. And I'm thinking, that's not quite the comment. Uh, that's not quite the compliment. You see what you're saying? <laughs> I have been known to put people to sleep. Certainly. <laughs> But no, it's good. I was talking about sim racing, actually, as it happens. <laughs> I always enjoy when it was Martin Brundle and David Coulthard. That's mm. on the short time that they worked for the BBC. I thought that was fantastic. That was, yeah. That's my favourite commentary pairing. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get too much into to my thoughts on the com, com, uh, the current uh, pairing on Sky Sports, but uh, I'm a big Martin Brundle fan, and we'll leave it at that, shall we? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's, that's fair enough. Now, you've also been racing in some big series as well, because you were in the Ferrari... Hublot series? Wasn't uh, it? The Ferrari Hublot eSports yeah. series, yeah. Um, that, that was interesting. <laughs> How did that go? Because I know there was a few connection issues for one of them, wasn't <laughs> there's, Yeah, there's a few funny stories with that. Uh, first of all, it was kind of pitched as, uh, there's going to be some hardcore eSports guys, but there's going to be a load of influencers in there as well. And I thought, yeah. well, that's okay. I'm not an eSports competitor. You know, I've spent a lot of time around the eSports guys, and I know that when I really put some effort in i can get to within about a second of them yeah. which i think is great uh, yeah. i'm very happy with that and that's pretty common for a lot you know for a lot of a uh, lot of sim racers out there is that mm. if you're not doing ten thousand hours of whatever stupid number yeah. it is in the car and track combination that they do you're not going to be able to compete with them that's yeah. that's what they do for a living and of course yeah. those guys are brilliant and untouchable and it's it's a privilege to share a track with people that make driving cars tricky cars particularly in that case look so effortless yeah. but yes it was, it was a it was a troubled series for me and that the first event uh was scheduled for uh a, a day after i moved into here or two days after i yeah. moved into here so uh, I, I was on 4g for it and there was because the internet hadn't been uh, connected the fiber hadn't been connected at the time and we agreed that okay well i'll, I'll try and connect but you know, if, if my ping isn't good enough, if my connection isn't stable enough, then I'm not going to race. I'm not. The last thing I want to do is ruin someone else's day because I'm trying to log into Orange on my phone to, to make sure the connection's working or whatever. You, know, you, you can't be doing that. I had yeah. a, I had a, a, a better fare at Zandvoort, which is the second round. I, I, my qualifying was uh, was pretty decent there. And uh, unfortunately, I got taken out at, at turn three after a great start. I managed to make my way past about five or six people. I uh, was very happy with that, you know, being really, you know, not up the front, but, you know, really mixing it with people a lot quicker than me, uh, but didn't make it past lap one without getting horrendous injuries. Then in Nürburgring, uh, same same thing happened. I, I got to about halfway through the race and uh, I've not shared this online. So this is an exclusive for you, Hugh. I've got a video clip of this that I may share one day, but I didn't want to... Uh, I didn't want to upset anyone involved in the series at the time. 
but the most bizarre thing happened. Uh, I had a, there was some sort of issue with the server where one of the cars that was running about five seconds ahead of me uh, on the track teleported backwards into the same space my car was occupying, so overlapping, for yeah. less than a tenth of a second. It was two frames or something on, on the video replay. Two frames. But that was enough to count as an accident. And well, this happened in such a short space of time that all I know is I'm driving along, I'm on a straight, and then the car just explodes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then that sort of underlines the sort of... Uh, luck that i had through that spa the final round i i, I did okay I, I think i uh i came in at about 12th or 13th at the end uh out of 24 which again with esports runners and stuff i was, I was more than happy with yeah. but uh, yeah not the best showing but again uh, I, I wasn't expecting to do anything other than come last every time when i saw the field was 99 percent uh <laughs> esport professionals and not yeah. youtube okay. idiots I was going to say, most Alfa Romeo owners will probably sympathize with you because that tends to happen. <laughs> One moment they're driving along, everything seems fine, minding their own business. The next thing you know, your car's on fire. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now we've got some, we've got Thea who, is, who has been watching and she's yeah. saying, oh, if you and Chris, I was more than a little surprised by the grid as well. Um, yeah. Smiley faces there. We, <laughs> had a, we had a great uh, battle throughout uh, the first round, oh, second round, sorry, my first round. Uh, at Zamvor, a race long battle. Sorry, I've interrupted you, Hugh. Go on. No, no, you were going to. Uh, that, that's exactly what I like. Um, um, yeah, because you, I, I remember watching the race and it was fantastic. And she says here, it was really fun racing with you at Zandvoort. Impressed by your speeds in other races when you had less damage. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was possible to have more damage at Zandvoort. Now, uh, Thea did a, an, a, an incredible job of uh, driving defensively throughout that whole race. I think I made about seven or eight really strong attempts to overtake. And probably that, again, just sort of half-hearted minor, just sort of, you know, little showing the car in the mirrors sort of things. And uh, she knew where I was quick compared to her and was always able to to put the car exactly where it needed to be, that I had just no no chance whatsoever. Even yeah. I think even with without damage, I, I would have really struggled to get past. Those cars were particularly uh, understeery, you know, even with... Yeah. All of the setup options pushed towards it being a, a more agile car. You had lots of understeer. It made it very difficult to really be confident uh, going past people. And uh, it was a tough car to overtake. And we saw throughout the field. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be uh, sort of hanging out with David and, and Josh uh, throughout that series and, and James Parker as well, you know, good friends with all those yeah. people, uh, being able to uh, hear them complain about how, <laughs> how difficult it was to overtake as well. And they are much, much more uh, professional uh, drivers than I am. <laughs> yeah, because I heard it did seem to be a very heavy car compared to other GT3s. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's a road car. It's not a GT3 car, really. Uh, it looks like the 488 GT3. Yeah. It's got sort of, it's got some of the interior, and it's got a couple of the aero bits that make it look like it. But it really is the 488 road car with a set of slicks slapped on and a couple of uh, tweaks to make it safe to race in. So, and it and it behaved more like a road car. Yeah. Well, on slicks, obviously. Yeah. I feel like I keep saying on slicks because it does change things massively. <laughs> well, Jeff Coleclough has been saying it was a bit of a tank. Because, of course, he would have been advising Thea at the time uh, when she was racing on how to get the setup all sorted out and things like that. But it's a yeah, it just, it, just, it, it just wanted to go straight on all the time. Uh, even with uh, even with some pretty extreme setup choices on it, 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 it was it was understeery, certainly. Mm -hmm. 
So would you like to do more of those kind of races? Do, are you got anything planned in the near well, future? Well, there's, there's a big question. I don't know what the answer to that is. When the right series comes along that's fun and allows me to race with, with my friends and uh, I think has the right approach to the community side of things, then I love to do things like that. But unsurprisingly, I, I, I get offered to, to be involved in quite a few of these things. I have to turn them down because they take a huge amount of time because yeah. you need to do quite a lot of prep work. They will know that for sure. The amount of work you have to put in to do that isn't just turning up on the day and driving. You can't, yeah. you can't yeah. enter a competition like that unprepared. It's not fair to the other guys and the level of dedication they've got. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a big ask to do these things. And uh, with the kind of uh, schedule I keep and the videos that I try to make, it's difficult to fit that in. So. Yeah. That's a meandering political way of saying, yeah, if the right thing comes along, I'll do it. <laughs> now, that's the thing. And so, I mean, how do you see your channel growing as well in the future? Because obviously you've gotten to a really good level. Um, what's the next steps for you in that way? You know what's very interesting is that the next step has always been working towards sort of today, really, being on the Hugh Hattrick show again. No, um, having, a, having a dedicated workspace and yeah. being able to sort of, really do my own thing and, and uh, forge my own course and I've sort of got there I've now had six weeks working here and things are calming down I, most of that six weeks has been construction work as well as video work but that's again one of the just one of the realities of, of doing doing this kind of thing so the the actual short answer is I don't know what the next step is I think there's definitely a period of stabilization where i just need to sort yeah. of calm down and don't come up with any other harebrained schemes there are a few things i'm working on in the background in partnership with other people that will hopefully bear some fruit soon and i'll be able to talk about them but really for now i just want to keep my head down and, and make some videos yeah no that's fantastic and i mean i saw the headline of your latest video um about how you got rid of your your triple screen and you've gone to a, a one screen was yeah, it in the van yeah <laughs> it wouldn't fit in the van yeah <laughs> so that was the main reason yeah because a lot of people have tried that haven't they they've gone from a, a, a they, you know, they put a big triple screen on and some people have curved screens and they look amazing um yeah uh, the, the tldr for that was uh the too long didn't read uh for is um <laughs> basically i found triples a nightmare to work with as a video as a video producer uh right. so i really used the the video was really a way of um sort of explaining some of the differences between triple all the pros and cons of triple and single screen setups uh, it's yeah. a video i've been asked to make for a while and as, as i said in the beginning of the video so people are asking every video where i feature the rig why i got rid of the the triple screens and i thought i'm, I'm bored of answering this Let, let's make a video <laughs> always the best videos always are just from community engagement it's, yeah. you know i joke about it but if the audience is asking it it's something they want to know and yeah unsurprisingly the the videos performed quite well for the first what are we now 12 hours or so 16 yeah. hours since i put it up yeah no well, i mean you've had great success and and, and really good uh, great viewing figures for your videos which is excellent so you're definitely appealing to a, a decent broad market of sim races and enthusiasts uh, which is which is fantastic that uh, so we do wish you all the best and continued success um, for your channel and what you're doing and i think having the studio there is an inspiration to a lot of people because well, that's what many many of us would love to have some a, a space like that where you can go and race and do all your stuff and 
and uh, you know it's your choice how you how you head the channel and how it all goes. Yeah, I'm um, ex I'm extremely lucky. I am extremely lucky to uh, to have uh, to to be in the position I am and to have had the help of of everyone that's helped me get here. You know, I I I, I don't want to appear blasé about uh the the relative success that my channels had um and the partnerships that i've been able to forge with people that have allowed me to do this so you know i i'm aware that i'm i'm very 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 lucky <laughs> and do you think in the future one last quick question um do you, as covid hopefully um you know uh, releases and we're able to go out and do more events and things like that it's yeah definitely isn't it hoping that we can do you think there'll be more kind of big real racing events alongside sim racing events that you've already taken part in uh, oh well yes uh, sim racing and real racing sharing the same space yeah that uh we were talking before the show about this yeah. uh i got a really good taste of that in in 2019 of being able to follow um the sro esports uh sorry the sro series which was blanc pan at the time is now gt world challenge around doing the sro esports live events at the racetracks and that was yeah. uh, once in a lifetime experience and was able to go to le mans to cover the le mans esports thing and stick around for the race they have there every year as well at the same time <laughs> and so you know i i got a lot of wonderful opportunities uh in 2019 and obviously with 2020 none of that was happening because they're sure as hell not going to let crazy esports gaming people in uh yeah. if they're not going to let the real world races in so yeah. um yeah. It's been it's been a very different year, and I would love to see more of that next year. And I'd love to see uh, more opportunities as those kind of things grow for for other people within the sim racing community to be able yeah. to interface with that as well. I think there's a lot of this out there, and it, it, there are a lot of opportunities for for people in this space to start uh, or continue uh, to work professionally in this environment. A couple of years ago, there was almost none, and now they're just yeah. it, it's everywhere, and they're. they're well, I always sort of opening up for sim races. Yeah, I always remember going to Goodwood, the festival of speed, uh, a couple of years ago, um, and uh, and it was amazing at how many everywhere they had a sim rig set up. There was queues of people mm. wanting to have a go. I think we were at Goodwood. We were talking about just before we uh, started the broadcast that we uh, we passed uh, cross paths at Silverstone, but didn't realise it in 2019. And I think we crossed yeah. paths Goodwood in 2019 as well and didn't realise it. <laughs> It's an, I, I can see that happening in terms of getting, you know, I could see Goodwood, especially the Festival of Speed, having a big sim uh, experience. You know, I think, I think that would be something and having lots of the big guests coming along. Um, I think that would gather huge. Oh, there, is a, there is a Festival of Speed uh, mod for Assetto Corsa. So uh, the tracks out there, if, if anyone, any enterprising person wants to uh, book yeah. himself and stand there and, and do that, they will do. I mean, how much would you... I, I, Hypothetically speaking, if someone offered you the opportunity to drive up the Goodwood Hill at the Festival of Speed in a real car, you would pay everything you had in the bank account. You'd remortgage the house. You'd do, you know, you'd you'd find a way of making it happen. But the next best thing is in a sim next to next to the track. You know, you'll have queues going out of the. Well, yeah, out of the well, Sport had that option for a while. They had a, it was one of the VW concept cars. And, yeah. I think under 33 seconds or whatever time it was many years yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It was, it was great fun. Um, but no, that, that would be the thing. And I think it would be an, a, an amazing thing to do. And again, if you were if you were um, able, you could actually, on the Thursdays at the Goodwood Festival Speed, you could drive a real car up there for free um, uh, when they had the, the, you know, the moving motor show. Mm. Um, I did that one year in a, it was in a, oh, what was it? It was an Infinity. 
Um, it was a, I can't remember which version it was, but it was the hybrid. And uh, I managed to take an old friend of the family who was in his 80s by this point. Uh, he sat in the back and I, and I was driving in the front and then you had some an instructor alongside you to make sure you didn't go too crazy. And of course, they had an extra hay, hay bale so that you didn't go, I think, as you came around the first couple of corners, you couldn't go too <laughs> on the street as you went under the bridge. Um, and, uh, and, and he said, oh, so you want to have some fun with this? And I said, yep. So he said, well, you need to, first thing you need to do is turn the stop start off. I said, that's the first thing to go. So that went off and off we went hearing up the hill. Um, and the only comment he gave me, he just said, well, I can see you're trying to take this seriously anyway. Uh, so I don't know if that was good or not. crashing. As you say, it's an incredible experience to drive up the hill. And even more so if you're driving up the hill in front of a crowd of people who are all watching, it must be amazing. Um, but I can see that definitely go, uh, going forward at Goodwood. I think they'll do a lot more kind of sim racing stuff there as well. And maybe they'll have you there helping to organize it or helping to put it together and being part well, of it. Who knows? I, I think next year we will, I mean, COVID pending. But let's call it 2022. So we take the uh, all of the, uh, the guesswork out of it. We yeah. will see sim events, uh, all sorts of motorsport events that haven't embraced it before. Uh, yeah. And there will be all sorts of tie-ins and, and opportunities because I, I've been involved in lots of these conversations recently about, you know, ooh, we'd like to do this here. You know, who do we speak to? And there's, there's a lot of will to make it happen, whether yeah. there is the money or, <laughs> or any of the other mechanical pieces that are needed to make all of that stuff work is, well, yeah. those questions are well beyond my pay, pay grade. But no, that's super. Well, look, thank you very much for coming on the show today. I know that you're very uh, strict on time. You've got lots of things happening. We don't want to get in the way of you making your uh, videos and, and having your interviews and things all sorted out. And thanks again to all our viewers for who've been watching today or listening on the podcast and for those who've been asking questions as well. Uh, it's brilliant to have Chris on the show. You're always full of incredible information. Um, and uh, so we wish you all the best for the channel. Uh, and I'm sure we'll keep in touch uh, and we'll have you on again a bit later on uh, when you've got more news and we see you commentating even further on these big events. But um, if you stay on the line for a wee moment, but I'll say to everyone who's watching from all around the world, you've been watching the Car, Sim and Race Driver show with our very, very special guest. It is the legend that is Chris Hay. And make sure you subscribe to his channel if you've not already done so. But it's fantastic to have everyone watching. And I'll say goodbye from me. And goodbye from, from Chris. <laughs> Drive fast and try not to crash. We'll be back again tonight. We've got James Bacon, who came fifth in the Spa 24 Hours race from the SimGrid. So he's tonight at nine o'clock live. Take care and we'll see you very soon. Bye just now. <laughs>